Today's scripture reading is from Ephesians 4, 12 through 16. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. So nice to uh, see new faces each week and uh, missed quite a few of you last week for Mother's Day, but um, nice to see you guys here. Uh, We'll actually be starting out at verse 11 uh, because we stopped mid-verse, verse 11 last week, and there was a purpose behind that uh, because it it directly ties to verse 7, which reads, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each one of us was given grace, a gift from the ascended Christ, and these gifts are found in verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. We looked at apostles, prophets, and evangelists last week. We'll be looking at shepherds and teachers along with verses 12 through 16 today. Shepherds can also be translated into pastors, and and it is often coupled with teachers so that this gifting is is coupled as shepherding and teaching. And this role of pastor-teacher is called to preach the word of God, to teach the truth to the people of God, to tend the flock as a shepherd, to lead God's people in worship, and to mobilize the church for Christian witness and service. And that's a really, really high calling that needs to be in absolute dependence on the grace of God to take on these duties. Like the other gifts in verse 11, it's, it's a ministry of God's word. And it's a spiritual feeding the word of God to the body of Christ. And this pastor-teacher role often serves as an elder in the church, not any higher than any other elder as, as church leadership is to have a plurality. It's to have a, a parity in it. But there is a distinction between elders who have other gifts and those who have this gift to preach and to teach. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, I don't think that this is limited to those who just pastor and teach, but also those elders who have apostolic, prophetic, and evangelistic gifts, which all stem from God's word. Now, a reminder from last week's message, it's not the gift that is to be highlighted, nor is it the recipient of the gift who is lifted up, but it is the giver. The giver of the gift is the one to be glorified. Now, that inaugural group of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers were all eyewitnesses to who Jesus is. They were firsthand witnesses to see what Jesus Christ did and hear why he did what he did. 
1 John chapter 1, verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So eyewitnesses to the word, and these gifts continue in that established word, not as new apostles or new prophets, new evangelists, new shepherds and, and teachers who, who contradict the word of God, but with that same gospel message as the eyewitnesses to Christ is what we are to bring forward in our present day. And so what are the purposes of these gifts? Then we get to verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. And it's not only the role of the pastor teacher to do this. It is for each one of us who has been gifted by grace to exercise our apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, teaching, shepherding gifts for the work of the ministry of the body of Christ. Because think about it, if these were just for those few or one leader in the church, we would have a pretty serious bottleneck to where we wouldn't be able to spiritually mature into everything God has made us to be. So it's not just one or a few people that control this flow, right? The ministry of God's word is shared with God's people by the power of the Spirit to equip, or in other words, to completely furnish or to perfect. The idea is that whatever is incomplete or, or out of order, not ready in our lives, that those things will be aligned with God's will in the equipping towards the completion and the perfection of God's purposes and plans. So it's more than just hearing the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. It's being fed by the Word of God to be equipped for the work of the ministry and not about how you felt about a particular thing being preached or taught. I've heard all sorts of feedback about my sermons from I really hated it to I loved it to I felt nothing from what you said to I was really moved or that was just terrible or that was really great. Like I've, I've just heard that was too long or it was too short. All, everything you can imagine I've heard. You know, what you said really made me feel sad. I, what you said made me feel happy. But it, it made me feel bad. It made me feel good. So I'm not discounting feelings at all. But along with those feelings is really an importance in thinking about how you were equipped. And it's not always going to be this practical application because sometimes the equipping is a theological one or something else that prepares you for life as a child of God. It's not always just a practical to-do. Maybe not an applicable to-do. But sometimes a way of thinking about how to be a better husband or wife or, or parent or child, employer, employee, citizen, which eventually does play out in how we live when things come in ideologically, philosophically, or theologically, that the word is what directs the works of our ministry, not the word of people, but the word of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 reads, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. 
Those who belong to Christ submit to the authority of God's word. It is what directs our actions, not, not people and what they think. And this will often get us into trouble when we disagree with the word of God, which happens all the time. If you just go down to the lake and proclaim, God is love. God is love. Which is an absolutely biblical proclamation to make. But I can almost guarantee you that you will be confronted with people challenging that proclamation because of what's happening in our world, what's happening in the Middle East with, with what's happening in COVID, with what's happening in their own lives, with their marital problems, financial problems, the loss of loved ones, just pointing out all the homeless in our community with all the suffering that's going on. What do we do when we have those sorts of disagreements, when you're saying God is love, and then people just point out everything around us that kind of shows, really, is he? Is he? Well, we have to embrace the word of God, and then we face those problems by relying on the word of God to direct our paths as to what to do next. There are going to be things in the world that don't align with the Bible. And the problem isn't the Bible. It is the Word of God. And we wrestle with the things in front of us in light of the Bible. John chapter 13, verse 13, Jesus said, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. So since God is teacher and Lord... There isn't space to reject his teaching if you call him Lord. Now, of course, we seek understanding and there's, there's this wrestling and there's this unpacking and there's mining for these truths, but there isn't room to flat out disregard. He is master, he is Lord, so there isn't room to disobey his word. The issues don't begin with our disagreements or disobedience to what Jesus teaches. The bigger issue at hand is the disbelief we have in who Jesus is and who he says he is. Because if you believe in who Jesus said he is, you cannot disobey his teaching. He is Lord. Now, if he isn't, then go ahead. But if you declare him to be your Lord, your master, then his teachings equip us for ministry, and we cannot disregard his word. Now, the Greek word for ministry in verse 12 is diakonia, which is where we get the word deacon. And Ken, a recently appointed deacon, was the one sharing, and we've had these various deacons coming up in these past weeks to share, so you can kind of familiarize their faces with who they are. And we recently formalized this deacon role at Regeneration to help the church identify specific people for ministry and for, for helps. And in our church bylaws, we actually don't use that term deacon. We use the term ministry leader, which was synonymous to that role. But having that title, deacon, doesn't prevent everyone else from serving in the ministry. There is work of the ministry to be done even without that title. You're all actually needed for the work of the ministry as, as it's simply just too much for those formally recognized as deacons to do. We, we formally recognize four deacons. Are we to say that they're to do the work of the entire church? 
No, right? The, the work of ministry is, is the same as works of service, and everyone, everyone is needed. So you see that teaching the Bible is not the only thing needed for spiritual maturity. The Bible is taught to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up of the church. And whatever you learn has to be fleshed out and practiced. Otherwise, what you have learned is not fully realized. And then you're just fooling yourself that you learned something. James writes in James chapter 1, starting in verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who intently looks at his natural face in a mirror. The, the building up of the body of Christ has a direct correlation to the congregants of the church doing the work of ministry. Now you fast forward to verse 16, which we'll get to a bit later in, in Ephesians, and it reads, when each part is working properly, we all need one another to do our part, to do something, to do what we can, ministry, serving God, each other, our community, some of you are familiar with uh, Gautam. Uh, Gautam is soon to be Dr. Gautam. Um, he is a graduating podiatry student at Samuel Merritt College, and he got some folks from his school to organize this two-day uh, clinic that we have in our community center. And serving people in our community with, with their med medical needs of their feet and ankles, especially the homeless, which is one of their greatest needs, he's doing his part. He's exercising his gifting. He's doing something, doing what he can do, building up of the body of Christ with his witness. We just need to do our part. Verse 13, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now back to this unity part of it, which we were instructed by Paul to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, back in verse 3. We are to maintain the unity and to attain the unity, here in verse 13. And this unity is to be amongst the family of Christ. Paul's not writing about unity with the world. He's talking about unity with those in Christ, that we're actually supposed to be counter-cultural. And if you look at church history you'll notice that the most impactful times of the church have been when the church has been most countercultural. The, the weakest the church has been throughout history has been when the church has been aligned with the culture. And just take a look at the early church as an example. For the first couple of centuries in the early church, it, it was heavily persecuted very heavily persecuted. And what, you, what you'll notice is that the gospel spread. It spread everywhere. And it's not until Constantine. Constantine, who, who made Christianity the religion of the state, the Roman Empire identifies itself as Christian, and the weakening of the church begins. 
because it created this confusion between politics of the empire and then one's relationship with Christ. And the same cultural compromise happens today. Christians over the past several decades want so badly to be liked that it's hard to tell the difference between a believer and a non-believer. And if we practice the same lifestyles, we value the same morality, we follow the same ethics, what is the difference? And if there's no difference, why follow Christ? Who is clearly different from the culture? Fewer and fewer people are entering the church. More and more people are leaving the church. And it's not because we're not culturally irrelevant. Because how has it happened in the church? We're becoming more culturally relevant, and it's happening even more. There's a reason why there has been more of a renewed interest in the Orthodox Church. People aren't interested in mainline churches. They're fleeing those things like mad. They're dying faster than the evangelical church by a long shot. And the evangelical church is also shrinking. But orthodox churches are seemingly getting a revitalization. Why is that? They're not trying to be like the world. The church is not as trivial as the mainline and evangelical churches by just being like the culture around them. They are different. They're not trying to unite with the world. In the early church, people saw Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians fellowship with one another, and that really surprised them. It'd be like what's happening in the Middle East. If suddenly you'd see these Israeli Christians starting to fellowship with Palestinian Christians which they actually do. But it's not something that happened back then, and it really surprised everyone that they saw something spiritually happening right before their eyes. Grace. They saw grace happening before their eyes, and the only people that wouldn't find church comfortable should only be people who can't accept grace. Everyone else should, be fi- should find it very appealing. And if you can receive the grace of God, church is to be a place for you. But it's the grace of God on God's terms, not your terms, not our terms. We do not define grace. Grace is defined by God, and the only way you can see it is in humility. It is impossible for proud people to receive grace because they're spiritually blind to see who they really are. And they can't see Jesus for who He really is. How can you and I know Christ for who He really is? His Word. By the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, that we come to believe in the Son of God. For example, take a look at the Emmaus Road. Two of Jesus' followers are just unable to recognize Jesus, even though he's right there. Luke chapter 24, verse 16. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Couldn't recognize Jesus until when? Jump down to verses 25 through 27 in Luke 24. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The word of God, the scriptures. Moses to the prophets. Jesus was right there with them and they couldn't see Jesus. I think the same thing is happening to many people today. Jesus is amongst us, but we can't see him. Jesus could be right next to us, walking with us, and we wouldn't recognize him because we don't see the word of God. We don't take in the word of God to open our eyes, and it does. The word of God opens our eyes to a relationship with Christ. Now back to verse 13 to the word maturity. We don't have these gifts simply because they're gifts of grace. There's a purpose to these gifts. So verses 12 and 13 back in Ephesians chapter 4. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. How is this spiritual maturity achieved? The Word of God, verse 11 through service to God for the people of God, verse 12. That is how. Now, of course, there is individual involvement, there is individual responsibility, but you'll notice that it is all done within community. That is the context to which it is done, to which this maturity happens. The church has a responsibility to equip, but so do the individuals of the church. The role of the church is to train people for the ministry, but those being trained need to be in submission to the Word of God, wanting to learn the Word of God and apply it, to engage in it. And as the truth is unpacked from the Word of God, those in Christ, we have to own it. You can't just listen to it and leave. You have to own it and you have to apply it so that the word of God through service to God for the people of God leads us to attain the unity of faith and that is for the entire church community in order for it to mature together. Now outside of the church, we wouldn't be together. Look at us. We're all so different. Maybe pockets of people, but like all of us, as we are right now, would we all be together? I don't think so. Because it's, it's Christ who unites us in this diversity that we have. Who, who draws us in by His grace to love one another. And this is how we attain the stature of fullness of Christ. Now, unfortunately, I think Hebrews 5 is is addressed to much of the church today, starting in verse 11. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by the constant practice to distinguish good from evil. But then there's this word of encouragement after this indictment to the church. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work 
and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do, as we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. The church, our church, has huge challenges ahead of it. We always have. It's not like we've ever had it easy. And the biggest danger isn't from the outside. It's from in here. It's from the inside. Take a look at Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God, and this is what we do here at our church. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This speaking of twisted things has been rising in the church and has drawn away disciples, and we are to be alert of these things. There's a really great danger when people lose confidence in the sufficiency and the authority of the Word of God. And that is what is happening in the church. That is when susceptibility of these twisted words draw those in Christ away. The scriptures tell us that these fierce wolves are among us, that they are inside the church. And we are warned about false teachers, about false teachings that affect those in the church. How dangerous it is if those in the church lose confidence in the word of God. Because it is from that leadership that it's not long until that point that the church is going to be led astray and away from the Word of God. The truth of the Word of God must be preached and taught to those in Christ to equip the saints for the work of ministry and to build up the holy body of Christ, to lead people to spiritual maturity. And I share these things with you to be on alert of what comes from this pulpit, of what comes from this church's leadership, and what comes from anything that comes from this church needs to be listened to in light of what is taught in the scriptures. Do not just take what I say. Align it with the scriptures. I know I've been a pastor here for a really long time, but don't just accept it. It is the word of God that is eternal, not my words. Not our leadership's words. It is the word of God. I share this with you because there will be times I preach and that I teach that some controversial issues are going to come up that go against the culture. And they are going to be very, very hard words for some people to hear. But please, 
Whatever that message is, whether you agree with it or disagree with it, you have to listen to it in light of the scriptures to deal with anything that may be false, whether coming from my mouth or that is going on in your mind. And yes, we risk being not liked. We risk not being thought of favorably. But we are the body of Christ. And we cannot compromise our allegiance to God for the culture that wants little to nothing to do with Christ. There are false teachers who compromise the word of God and they are present among us. People are being led away from Christ every day by false teachings. And these are, there are claims from these people who believe that the church is irrelevant, that it's antiquated, and they are disregarding the apostolic word of God. It is the word of God, and it has spanned thousands of years. What can possibly make people today think that they're so special that the word of God changes for them? It doesn't. It is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. Just as authoritative, just as sufficient. And the word, is, the word of God is speaking to us today. It is maturing us today. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. A characteristic of children is that they are immature which is why they need parents. Children are easily distracted. They, they gravitate towards what most appeals to them. And people take advantage of these characteristics to draw children in to harm them, and th which is not healthy for them, and it's not in their best interest. Any, any one of us who has children knows this. And if you, even if you don't have children, you probably know friends, ch kids, or nieces, nephews, or cousins, or that, that when you bring them to the store, this is all you got to do. You just got to bring them to the store, and you'll learn this lesson firsthand. Because as you're checking out of the store, what is at the checkout counter? And what is at their eye level? Candy, right? Junk food. Soda. That, that's what it always is. And it's colorful. And it's bright. And they have like cute animals and things like that that just show, buy me. They don't put fruits and vegetables there. When have you seen that? They don't put nutritional supplements there. Children are susceptible to things that are not good for them. And they want this thing called instant gratification because that sugar tastes good and it feels good. Adults who are childish have the same exact impulses because the candy is there for you too. It's not just at this level, it's right here. They have it for you too. And these adults don't know what delayed gratification is because that candy bar tastes really good right there. And I need a pick-me-up, so I just need that quick drink. And that bag of chips sounds really good. 
We are not to be childish, going with whatever sounds good. The Word of God is stable. It does not change. It does not toss people to and fro. You know exactly what it is. It's been the same forever. And our solid foundation must be the Word of God or every wind of doctrine that changes will change us. We are to believe the apostolic Word of God back when it was founded to what it is now and now about God's authority in all things including controversial issues that we face today. It is the same Word. And you notice that the luring of false teaching is not stagnant. It is really active. Look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. The enemy is very active and is very deceptive. And the playbook, though, is always the same. It doesn't change, but it works. And you can find it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. It is the same thing he's been doing since the creation of humanity. It's the same thing, and he always asks the same question. Did God actually say? Did God actually say that? It's the same thing. Can't we see that? It's always the same thing. It always goes back to God's word. Did he say that? The deception is always leading away from God's word. Always. Always. Always undermining the word of God. Always. You might not like what the Bible says about various issues. But what does the Bible say? We can't misinterpret Scripture so that it says what we want it to say. What does it say? What does it tell us? Because if you keep justifying the misinterpretations, you're being deceived, and you'll just believe what you want to believe and not what the Bible teaches. I've been given grace, just like every single one of you. We've all been given grace. One of the gifts God has given me is to shepherd and to teach I'm called to continually, consistently, faithfully expose the scriptures to be rightly understood and to be applied. It is God's word that is taught, believed, studied, prayed, and meditated upon and applied. And this saves us from the immaturity people fall victim to when they're more influenced by the latest print media article, broadcast media, story, book, podcast, social media, post, speech, movie, internet whatever, than they are the Word of God. Don't be led astray from the Word of God. Verse 15, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. Paul is explaining how the body of Christ grows and, and, the, and that Christ is the center of the church. He is the one who unites us to Him and to one another. We are growing together into being like Christ. And the process involved in this maturity is speaking the truth in love. Now, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, I'm sure you've heard this phrase. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And what's unfortunate about this phrase is it's often taken out of context. Because 
most often it's used in this context where people are just using this biblical phrase, speaking the truth in love, brother. I'm just speaking the truth in love. And it's simply just for them to justify saying something uncomfortable to another person. And that's why they use this. But is it really saying that? Because when you're saying like, hey, you're confronting somebody. Why, why did you say something so hurtful or so harmful or so mean? And the person justifies it and just says, I was just speaking the truth in love. No, you're not. You're just being a jerk. Is it good to speak the truth in love? Of course it is. But that's not the context of this phrase here. So what is the context of this phrase? Verse 14, people have been caught up in all of this cunning and all of this craftiness and slyness and falseness and deceitfulness. So in the context of verse 14, and verse 15 is telling us that those people who led everyone astray, who are not speaking the truth, you need to speak the truth and love to them. They are not people who loved them because if they truly loved them, those false teachers would tell them the truth. So we need to speak the truth in love, not lie to people or deceit people or be pulling them away with falseness. And so the ultimate intent of the enemy is to harm, not to help. And people may not be aware of what they're doing, but ultimately, this is what's happening between the force of goodness, righteousness, and love, and the force of evil, craftiness, and deception. And just as truth and love are coupled together, so are deceit and hate. And we are to exercise truth and love. Now, I'm sure you've met people who are all truth and no love. They're absolutely horrible to be around. I don't like it. I'm sure you don't like it either. And then there are people who are all love and no truth. You like to be around them, but then you don't know if you can trust what they say. And it needs to be coupled together. Truth is hard if it isn't softened by love, and love is weak if it isn't strengthened by truth. It is truth in love. The truth of God's word is saturated in love. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Each part of the body exists to help other parts grow. We all help each other. And it is from the head, Christ, that this harmonious functioning of the body happens. Our bodies function through what comes from our head. And if that is not happening, then something is wrong. We are under the headship of Christ and we are united in Him. Christ provided all of the joints and holding us together and we're growing into a functioning reality as His body, His church. And we are becoming fully mature in love as each part does what they are made to do. The effective functioning of regeneration needs all of the parts. It needs all of us to be united in the gospel of Christ. Church bodies are dying because they're not functioning together. They're not practicing truth in love together. And some are stuck in their past just waiting to be laid to rest. 
content with their property, content with what they have in their bank accounts, but the Bay Area needs healthy church bodies to live into and live out the gospel of Christ. We need to be about the gospel ministry. So I just want to leave you with a Dr. Seuss type of phrase that maybe hopefully it just sticks in your head and it's eat up, grow up, show up, step up. Now some of you probably might want to throw up, but that's not in this thing here. Eat up. Get nourished by the word of God. Daily. Daily. Grow up. Mature in Christ and and don't be childish. We're told to be childlike, but not childish. Show up. And this is the one that I'd really like to address because we just recently started meeting in person, and so obviously it's not for those of you here. I'm just talking to the choir here. It's you online folks. We're currently meeting at 25% capacity. We're going to be going to 50% capacity in June. Show up. Show up. We've been really conservative in our precautions. A good number of people I've spoken with are vaccinated. We're gathering on Sunday. Join us. Join us. Join us having communion together. Encouraging others to show up. And in June, it's going to move from this virtual worship to a live worship. And step up. All of us have been given this grace to serve. And we have the word of God that nourishes us. We, we need to mature in Christ and do what we need to serve, to show up, to get equipped, and to step up as the body of Christ together. Being, serving together has to be together. It can't be done virtually. Now, I understand our circumstances from this past year, but you really have to ask yourself, when is it time for you? I do think it's soon for you unless you've been inconsistent through your life and that you've been going to stores. You've been going shopping and restaurants and movies and gyms and that other stuff, but then you haven't come to church. That's inconsistent. So if you haven't done those things, I understand. You're, you're staying in and, and that's fine. But if you've already started doing those things and you're just not coming here, I think it's time for you to come here. It's time to get involved in each other's lives, in the community. It's time to serve the needs of others and the community. It's time to practice spiritual disciplines together for us to mature in Christ together. It's time to give and to receive love and care from one another. The Christian faith is not a solo act. The Christian faith is practiced in community. It always has been. I know it's more convenient to go about how church has been done this past year. I know there are a host of reasons as to why you haven't come back yet, but I just want to encourage you not to take too long. No one can spiritually mature on their own, that we all need one another, and we have a lot of ministry to do before the return of Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your word is your word. It is wisdom. 
It is what guides us. And I ask God that that is solidly planted on our minds and in our hearts, that whatever issue that comes before us, that we would see it in light of your word. Lord, I pray for our church. I know a number of folks who have moved on during this time of pandemic, and I pray your blessing for them for whatever reasons those are. But for those of us who are here in this community, also asking for your blessing for us to affect it in a gospel way. That people would know you, Jesus. That they would be recipients of your grace, not because the gift is good, but because you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. If anyone does not have communion elements and you want to partake in it, just please raise your hand and Stephanie will come by with that. And as we are getting ready for that, um, that top piece is the wafer that we'll start out with first. And this wafer symbolizing the body of Christ broken for us. That wonderful gift of grace that he gives to us. And so at this time, as you just take a moment to reflect upon your relationship with Christ, reflect upon your relationship with each other in your community. We ask that you would just take some time to take inventory of yourself to see how you are far from Christ and how that can be redeemed at this moment. That you would seek forgiveness, that you would seek restoration and reconciliation with God, with someone that has offended you or someone you've offended. As you posture yourself in that direction of grace, peace, love, reconciliation with Christ, I invite you to take this. Let's take this together. The fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ shed for us. That he has restored us to God. Let's take this together. Lord, this sacrament of your body and your blood that we take every week as we are told by you to do this until your return. And so we do this and we're thankful for this symbolic sacrament that continually reminds us of our need for you and what you did for us. In Jesus' name, amen.